Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter. So, this morning is my 15th anniversary of being at NPC. It's crazy. I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I didn't expect that, but I did, uh, I'm not sure what I expected, to be honest with you. Uh, but I did look back in my notes, and uh, it's been an a interesting emotional roller coaster kind of week because uh, this week on Monday through Thursday, I was down at Covenant Seminary for a conference, and I had not been back to the seminary really to within a year that I graduated, which was 1997. I think I, I dropped back onto campus in 98, and life just hadn't brought me back there since then. And so, uh, I mean, it just was a, a, a trip down memory lane a little bit um, because we were so young when we went to seminary. I, I drove past the tiny uh, apartment that we lived in. Uh, if, I, if I showed you a picture uh, of the apartment, you'd say, well, that looks like a great apartment. But it, it was really like three floors of apartments, and we just had like one floor uh, of this apartment, and uh, it, was, it was massive to us. We had zero kids uh, uh, throughout seminary, and so uh, it just was interesting. I, I texted Kim that uh, I, I wasn't so much feeling nostalgia in the way that you can feel regret that comes with nostalgia. You know what I mean? Uh, I I wasn't so much feeling that as much as just thinking back to how much life was ahead of us uh, at that that moment in time. Uh, You know, so, so much yet to unfold in the next 28 years. 15 years ago, of course, we showed up. We had three small children. Uh, we had a third grader, a kindergartner, and a two-year-old. The two-year-old, as I've shared before, she was very happy to make the move. She saw all the boxes in our house in Chicago, and she wasn't sure which box was hers. Uh, she followed a mover around the whole house, making sure that she was going to get into the right box so that she could come to Columbus with the family. And she was so relieved when I told her that she got to ride the Columbus in the car. Uh, she thought that was the best. So, you know, lots, lots of changes since then. I mean, tomorrow uh, uh, we head westward to drive John to his first job in Alaska, which is crazy uh, that, that that is going to happen. And so uh, a, lot, a lot of emotions and feels over uh, the past week, much affection and appreciation uh, for you here who've been part of the journey. Some of you, as I look at it, have been here the whole 15 years and uh, we've been through a lot together, some hard and some good, and we've seen Jesus be faithful in so many different ways. And I, I could go on, and uh, it would be a fun uh, reminiscence, I think, in some ways, but sermons aren't about the preacher. They're not supposed to be about the preacher. Uh, the, the greatest preacher, human preacher, who ever lived, John the Baptist, uh, who Jesus affirmed, he said there was none like him. Uh, John the Baptist, 
uh, said of Jesus and his relationship to Jesus's ministry, he must increase, but I must decrease. And increase in the New Testament uh, is often descriptive of the growth of the gospel and the growth of the church, particularly in the New Testament book called Acts. You will find expressions uh, about the word of God continuing to increase and the number of disciples multiplying greatly. And it's one of the ways that you could outline the book of Acts if you wanted to. The spread of the word of God, the gospel of God throughout the world uh, increasing. But there is a, a second meaning to the word increase, which is intriguing when applied to John and his description that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. And that is uh, the word increase also describes the brightening of something. Uh, the, the, ways that, uh, in the ways that the days get longer after the winter solstice is one of the ways that it's used in the Greek language, uh, that the days increase in brightness. And I wonder, and I think I could contend that that is actually what John the Baptist means, uh, that uh, his job as the preacher is for Jesus to become brighter, uh, for Jesus in his glory and in his greatness to become brighter, and that is the responsibility of the minister to fade into the background of Jesus's greatness. I think that that is what John has in mind. And it brings us to understand, in some ways, the goal of Christian ministry. And by Christian ministry, I don't mean simply the goal of the Christian pastorate, but I mean the kinds of ministries that happen in the church, across the congregation, the kinds of things that were even happening this morning as communicants class members were fed and were interviewed by ruling elders and as Sunday school classes were taught uh, and as worship was engaged in, in the conference room next to my office, that uh, it is the goal that we have that Jesus would shine brighter and brighter and as a consequence for each of us to fade into the light of Jesus's greatness. And that would bring us, you're like, how does this relate to First Thessalonians 2? Well, I think in First Thessalonians 2 and in the verses which Dave just read for us, Paul wants the greatness, the brightness of soon returning King Jesus to shine brighter in the Thessalonians' hearts. And to shine brighter against the frustrations of the moment of time that they were in. And he does this in an interesting way. He does this in these verses by sharing his ministry heart for his friends. Uh, this passage is intensively personal. I don't know if you caught that as Dave read it. It's an intimate passage because he is sharing about the heart of ministry. And his prayer that the Thessalonians would grow in love for each other, which would then bring hope not only to the church, but to the world, that they would grow in love for the world around them, that they would grow in blamelessness in advance of King Jesus's return. This is his prayer. We've noted it in preceding weeks, beginning in verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 
And we saw last week, and if you're just visiting with us this morning, I'll catch you up for a moment, that, that opposition to the light of Christ in a world which is always spiritually dark is typical. It's normal. It's normal uh, for opposition to Jesus to happen. Uh, the, uh, the Jesus himself was rejected by those he preached the gospel to. The apostles were chased out of Jerusalem. Christians in Judea faced hardships from their countrymen. Now these Greek Christians were experiencing the same thing. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, which we saw last week, uh, we ought not to be surprised. Indeed, John the apostle put it this way in uh, the context of, of maybe the most famous verse in the New Testament, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that is great news. We love that reality. John continues, for God did not send his world, son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. This is good news. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So from the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus down through the spread of the Gospel and the increase of the Word across the world, uh, that, that as the light goes into the darkness, the darkness does not always rejoice. In fact, the darkness does not rejoice at all. But it is in the context of wanting Jesus to shine brighter that Paul displays his great affection for the Thessalonians. His affection is more than personal. The section, I think, is more than autobiographical. Uh, it's meant more than just to reveal to us that Paul cared about the people that he was writing to. I think it's meant to instruct us in a congregation, in a church, in a moment in time uh, about the heartbeat of ministry for pastors and congregations seeking to make Jesus shine brighter, uh, that we need to be reminded about the heartbeat of ministry, the heartache of ministry, and what heartens Christian ministry. So who is this passage for? I, I thought about that because uh, I was thinking if I was preaching at Presbytery, this would be a great passage to talk to other pastors about, uh, but it is really also very useful uh, for congregations and moments when we need God to reset our expectations for Christian living. It's for, I think, the younger generation of Christians who understand more intuitively, who experience more actively uh, that the world is hostile to Jesus and his word and his people. It, it's been that way, but it's just more on the surface. It's for maturing Christians for whom the, the thrill of new conversion is gone, who need encouraged to keep looking at the horizon for the return of the king. It's for not yet Christians who are browsing the news and who wonder if humanity is trapped in an endless cycle of bad news. It's for the fifth or 11th grader or college sophomore or anyone else who wonders if Christian ministry, whether the pastorate or as a campus worker or as a children's pastor, is God's call on your life. And if you wonder if Jesus is calling you to make him brighter, 
what would that be like? What would it be like? Paul wants to talk to us about the heartbeat and the heartache and the heartening of Christian ministry. So this is for all of us, the heartbeat of ministry. And, and maybe as I think about this, particularly if you're regularly part of the congregation at NPC, I want you to think about your ministry. I'll think about my ministry. You think about your ministry, uh, whether it's leading a small group or a student group or a children's group or working behind the scenes or you're in the nursery. The, the heartbeat of Christian ministry is to strengthen the king's people to stand firm until the king returns. And that happens not just on a Sunday morning and not just on the platform, but it happens all throughout the life of the church. It was happening on Friday night and Saturday morning at the women's conference. It was happening as uh, students were being interviewed this morning for new membership. That the heartbeat of ministry is to strengthen the king's people to stand firm until he returns. So Paul shares uh, from the depth of his heart to the Thessalonian Christians uh, how much he, uh, he's alarmed to be separated from them. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, and what he means is uh, they had intended to stay longer in Thessalonica, uh, but there was a riot instigated and Paul and friends had to be hustled out of the city. Uh, they, they wanted to stay longer, but we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in heart. And we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire. And this word great desire, we shouldn't read quickly past. It, it, it is an intensive desire, uh, the, the negative of which is the word lust. So it's a strong word. But, but put positively, they had this great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul is intensively passionate to know that the Thessalonians are standing firm in faith despite opposition. Now, he's going to explain more about how to stand firm in a moment. But before he explains how to stand firm, he explains why this is the heartbeat of Christian ministry. Verse 19 for, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. That when Jesus returns, those of us who have engaged in ministry, and I don't mean only the pastorate, but if you're a small group leader, if you're a, a student volunteer, what will be our crown and our joy and our boasting at Jesus' return will be the people that we help stand firm. Which completely puts a different spin on all of the different behind-the-scenes things get, that get done in the life of of a congregation. King Jesus is coming back. History is not an endless cycle of bad news. History has a terminal point. The terminal point of history for Christians is uh, an amazing moment. 
uh, that the news that is bad now because of sin and consequence, which are everyday experiences, are not forever experiences. That the king who defeated death, that the king who conquered evil is coming back. And that the heartbeat of ministry is to help Jesus' people, the ones that he died for, the same ones that he rose for, the ones that he sends his spirit to call, to bring to himself, uh, to encourage each other to stand firm, ready to meet the king who has borne our judgment so that when the king comes back, we are glad and not sad. And you could say, the exact same thing, just with a different emphasis, is the heartbeat of evangelism. That we share the good news with a darkening world so that when King Jesus returns, more people are glad and not sad because they've come to believe in Jesus as King. Paul says, for you are our glory and our joy. I think these are hopeful and calibrating words. For everyone who will serve in a congregation, that it is not the size or the wealth or the influence of the congregation or of the youth group or of anything that will be our boast when King Jesus comes back. People, people will be our boast. Here's the person that I visited in the hospital when nobody was looking. Here's the person who I encouraged as a fellow schoolmate through a dark time and pointed her in the direction of Jesus. Here's the person who I encouraged in the direction of his giftedness. Here's the person who was stuck in a sin, who I reminded that Jesus has died and has risen, and there is therefore now no condemnation for that person. These people are our hope and our glory and our joy. So small group leaders and others, elders, deacons, this word is for you by way of encouragement. You give up your free time to prepare. You give up your free time to get ready. You go and you buy the snacks. And some people come and some people don't come, which means that there's more snacks. There's an upside, upside to the non-attendance. But Jesus died for all of them. So keep investing. Keep investing. You're, uh, you're a campus worker and you've set up appointments to meet students at the student union and they don't come and they don't come and they blow you off and they blow you off. Keep investing. Keep investing. That's the heartbeat of ministry. So my, uh, my friend and mentor, Dave Peterson, died this week. Uh, Dave was the man of which I mentioned several weeks ago had gotten a, a difficult health diagnosis. Uh, and Dave and his wife mentored Kim and me when we were brand new church planners in South Dakota. Dave had retired from the army as a colonel, as a chaplain. Uh, he did two tours in Vietnam and he had been Norman Schwarzkopf. Does that name ring a bell for some of you? Norman Schwarzkopf's chaplain. He was the command chaplain in Desert Storm. And he was my friend. And when he was in town, 
he brought me a concoction of McDonald's coffee and hot chocolate because, you know, these were our options in, in Sturgis in that town. You had a McDonald's and you had a mom's restaurant and a Bob's restaurant. And it seemed to me that in order to have a restaurant in Sturgis, you had to be able to spell the name uh, backwards and forwards the same way. <laughs> so I suppose you could have had a dad's restaurant but, but Dave would bring me this concoction, and he would sit down, and he would teach me about being a pastor. And he helped me stand firm. And then a while later, uh, you know, uh, uh, gosh, a decade later when I came back from Afghanistan, and that first year back was not super awesome, uh, he came and he visited me and Kim. He took us out to dinner, and he helped me not be as jumpy as I was and uh, he helped me stand firm. And then two months ago, two months ago, he sent me a one-line email. He's like, hey, I, I'm praying for you. That's it. Um, and then uh, he passed away very aggressively. But his, his heartbeat was to make Jesus brighter so that me and Kim and our kids could stand firm. Be like Dave. Be like Dave as Dave was like Jesus. That's the heartbeat of ministry. But here's, here's the thing that they don't tell you in the recruiting posters for seminary. There aren't really many recruiting <laughs> posters for seminary. Um, now, there's also a heartache that goes with ministry. And Paul is honest about that. If the heartbeat of Christian ministry is to strengthen the king's people to stand in faith until the king returns. The heartache of ministry is when people stop standing firm in the faith. And Paul's anxiety was that the Thessalonians would fall away from faith, and, and this anxiety to him was nearly unbearable. Paul understands that there is a Bible-long connection between suffering and temptation to disbelief. Uh, it's, it's a main theme, for example, in the, the book of Job. It's a refrain during Israel's exodus out of Egypt to the promised land. God provides, and then the people suffer, and then they doubt that God will provide, and then they don't believe, and then God provides, and then they don't believe. And, and Paul understands the pattern. He says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy. So he sends his, his best guy, Timothy, uh, to strengthen and exhort, uh, to comfort, to come alongside, to advocate for the Thessalonians. And not just with a pep talk, but to, to bring the, the reality of God's word in its depth to their suffering, to bring the truth of God into their experience. So we, we can learn from Timothy and his ministry to the Thessalonians, that we combat the heartache of ministry uh, by having realistic expectations for suffering and realistic expectations for spiritual opposition. So sometimes suffering is self-inflicted. You make a, a bad choice and suffering happens, but not all suffering is self-inflicted. Sometimes life in a sin-impacted world brings suffering disease, war, earthquakes, famine, the, the whole litany. And these are sad, and these are common to humans. Creation groans. And, and when this kind of suffering is weighing down on me, two things help me. 
first to lament the brokenness of life now, to realize that this is not the way that God created it to be, but that the God who is the creator is also my heavenly father. And, uh, and I don't necessarily understand everything between those poles. <laughs> you know, I, I, the, the, the pole of suffering and the world not being the way it's supposed to be and, and that my father loves me and is in charge that this is his world, that, that he is the ruler yet, as the old hymn puts it. But in between, that, that calculus in there, I don't always understand. I lament and I, I trust. But Jesus' followers need an additional category, Paul is telling the Thessalonians, and that is the category of suffering as a result of faith in Jesus in Acts 14, Paul is dragged outside of a city. They, they uh, attempt to execute him by stoning. They leave him for dead. He's not dead. He's revived. He travels on. And then when you read the story in Acts 14, he returns to the scene of the crime, so to speak. In Acts 14, 21, they return to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's interesting that, uh, as one commentator puts it, that, that in the, the catechism teaching of the first generation church, the first Christians were taught that they would suffer for following Jesus. It was a matter of course <laughs> that they should expect it. And that when it happens, it does not mean that God has somehow lost control or that God has stopped caring about Jesus' people. And so Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to strengthen the Thessalonians in exactly this way. And verses 3 and 4 show the subject of, of Timothy's lessons. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, and knowledge, of course, in the New Testament is often experiential, not just head knowledge, but experience knowledge, just as you have experienced. So let's just pause there and remind ourselves that the Christian life is fundamentally good. It's good now, it's better when we die, it's best when Jesus returns. And if you had just one chapter to confirm to you that the goodness of following Jesus, you could pick Romans 8 and you would land on such truths like there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, resurrection is your future. And as we saw in the Creed series over the summer, it's not just a spiritual resurrection, but it is a body and spirit resurrection, a whole person resurrection. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's good news. It's good news, friends. But suffering is part of it. And so we need to have realistic expectations. And we also need to have realistic awareness of opposition. So ministry heartache happens when some hear the word and are tempted away from belief. And Paul reminds the church that there is a spiritual opponent. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, 
I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. One helpful commentator points out that Paul's awareness of the spiritual opposition does not lead him to fixate on the spiritual opposition. So he doesn't fixate on the tempter. What he does is he takes the tools that God gives, which is the ministry of the word and prayer, and he applies them to the spiritual reality. There is a spiritual opponent And we battle with word and prayer that the the labor of the gospel would not be in vain. That, uh, That fear of labor in vain, that's the fear that haunts me. That's, you know, I, I'm, 51-ish. This is, my, this, is, this is my life. This is my call. This is my career. I'm not doing anything else. I'm not even sure I could do anything else. Actually, I probably could do other things. One of the things that was encouraging by being back at Covenant this week is there was a moment in seminary where an Old Testament professor called me to his office. I I figured I was in deep trouble Um, because the way I got through Hebrew was by memorizing the Revised Standard Version of the English Bible. (laughs) And uh, he's like, wow, your translations are spot on. Thank you, sir. I I figured that I was in trouble, but uh, he sat down. He's like, hey, I, I want you to think about becoming a professor. And uh, I'd like you to do that. And I remember talking with him. I said, you know, I I think my call is to be in the church. I I, I think my call is to be, you know, with the people. And not that I'm different from the people. I am a people. Pastors are sheep and shepherds at the same time. Uh, It's humbling. But but I, I think that's my call, and so I, I pursued that path. And, and I did not feel at the seminary kind of the regret of the path not taken. But, but I did feel this pressure of, of labor being in vain. And if you are an elder or a deacon or a pastor or a ministry leader of a group, you understand that. Because you understand what it is in, what it is like to invest in people, sometimes for months and years, and, and to watch people make different choices in their life of discipleship, to, to walk away from Jesus. That's the hard, that's the hard, at least for me, that's the hard thing. That's the hard thing. The, the hard thing is not going to my high school reunion and having my high school friends not like me anymore because I'm a pastor. That, that happened. I, I expect that. It's, it, it's when people walk away from Jesus where you feel like the, maybe the, the labor has been in vain. And, and that's where really you need to be married to Kim. But, but you can't be married to Kim because I'm married to Kim. And, and I will remind, I mean, if, I weren't married to Kim. I would have celebrated about a year and a half anniversary at MPC and then been gone. So the last 13 and a half years are really due to Kim um, because she will encourage me in those moments. And she'll say, God's in charge. God's in charge. 
The, the labor is not in vain. And this leads to the heartening of ministry. Heartening, you know, that word that describes the encouragement, the strengthening. Timothy brings back a report that the Thessalonians are standing firm despite hardship. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So Paul is grateful, joyful, encouraged, renewed when Timothy reports that the Thessalonians are standing firm in their faith. Opposition is real. They've, they've stood firm in the gospel, and Paul is glad. And here's uh, the fascinating thing as we look forward to coming to the next verses in 1 Thessalonians, uh, that Timothy's report also includes information about behavior that's not yet mature. And this is fascinating to me because Paul says, Paul says in verse 9, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. That, that there are things that the Thessalonians lacked. There were things that made the Thessalonians immature that were distinguishable from not standing firm. To me, that's the fascinating point, because some of the behavior that needs to be addressed in the church that Paul wants to return to Thessalonia to supply includes things like sexual conduct, Christian friendship, the importance of work, doctrinal confusion over life and death outcomes, doctrinal confusion over Jesus's return, and potentially poor treatment of their ministry leaders. So all of this behavior needs to be addressed. It's a mark of immaturity, but it's not a mark of spiritual failure. It's not a, it's not a mark that they have failed to stand firm. All of the behaviors need addressed. And there are lessons here, I think, that the importance for those of us who are doing ministry, which might be all of us, to be able to distinguish immature behavior where growth is needed from real failure to stand firm. So here are a couple of practical applications for you. First, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the gospel the main thing. Keep what Jesus has achieved and how his achievement applies to us so that as we live lives of hearing God's word and applying Jesus's victory to our lives and as we grow in understanding his achievement, more maturity will result. Which means, secondly, that in your groups where you are able to build a culture where gospel growth is expected and immaturity can be encouraged to maturity. Nobody, I mean, two-year-olds are cute when they're two. Those of you who are parents of two-year-olds are like, Dave, I'd like to make an appointment and remind you about the two-year-olds. But, but people expect immature behavior from immaturely aged people. What is not cute is when a 30-year-old acts like a two-year-old. So create groups where immaturity can be expected, but, but not to stay immature. So, so don't lead judgy groups that judge people for being immature but promote maturity. How do you promote maturity? By pointing people back to Jesus, by doing what John the Baptist did, make Jesus brighter. 
Make Jesus brighter in their hearts for the things that they are struggling with. Pray for opportunities, thirdly, to strengthen and mature, or to be strengthened and be matured versus scrutinizing failure. Make Jesus brighter. This is the, this is the work. This is the, the heart of ministry. I'm going to wrap up here, and I'm going to tell you, just because I can, my favorite Dave Peterson story. Dave Peterson, previously mentioned, was the baccalaureate speaker at my seminary graduation. He had just retired from the army, and uh, what? And he they invited him to preach. You know, baccalaureate that worship service before graduation. I don't know. If, I think Dublin has a baccalaureate uh, for high school graduates. So Dave was going to preach baccalaureate, and he showed up and. Uh, David had uh, a distinguished military career. He was the third senior chaplain in the army at the point of his retirement. And he showed up and, and he preached in his dress uniform. Uh, and he just was all, all decked out, all kinds of awards. And they read his military biography uh, and they printed it in the folder. But, but as he was walking down the aisle to get up to preach, a, a little kid walked into the aisle just to look at him. The way that little kids are sometimes enamored by people in uniform. And David is, is walking up to preach. And he got down on one knee and, and he hugged the kid. And that is all you need to know about the heart of ministry. That Jesus needs to be brighter. And we need to become dimmer. And the, the, the culture, the, the culture needs a whole bunch of Christians who are pointing away from themselves and pointing to Jesus and making him greater. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast and for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.